I'm uh, Ravi Jayakaran and I work for MAP International. MAP International is a global organization that's going to be 60 years next year. And uh, we, uh, you find our information on www.map.org. We have a booth here, 2602 on the second floor, and you'll see that sign there so you can find it if you're looking for essential medicines, learn about health, integrated development. You should go there and have a colleague here, uh, Denise. Denise, can you wave your hand? So she's got some documents for you in case you want them after the, after the talk. Uh, before we look at measuring what matters in community transformation, just like God is the author of our faith, he is also the author of transformation. So we're looking essentially at seeing and understanding what he is doing in community. So it's, it's something that uh, we need to turn into God's hands. So before we look at this, can we just look to him in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are here that you are concerned about each one of us transforming to the fullness of the capacity that you've given us. That's your desire for every human being you have created. You've called us to be your instruments to make that happen. We're called to follow you, to see what you're doing and become partners. May we be useful instruments in your hands. And now, Lord, we put this in your hands, give you all the glory, and ask that you will take control. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to look at a couple of things related to measuring what matters in community transformation. What I'm sharing here is not all that you're going to look at in community transformation, but this is a quick snapshot and we will explore in detail one or two of the techniques as we go along. And we hopefully should have some time at the end for questions and discussions. So to begin with, let me start with a story. Uh, a group of surgeons and doctors with various capacities were put together in a hall, one on this side and one on this side. And they had two screens and in front of the, each screen, they had a series of instruments, like you can see there, the two sets of instruments, set of instruments on this side, a screen on this side. And they were asked to, to carry out a diagnosis because these sets of instruments were connected to some patients on both sides. So on this side, there were somebody behind the screen, a series of instruments on that side, a screen, series of instruments. And this group of experts were studying this, looking at all of this stuff. I wanted to show you this. It's 16 megabytes on my 18 megabyte presentation. <laughs> and then they were asked to give their diagnosis. And so the experts looked at the at the instruments, they looked at all the measurements there, and then they gave the diagnosis for the one on this side, that side, sorry, that side, and said, 
this person is in perfect health, very good condition. All the parameters are within the range. And then they said, what about the other one? I said, this side, this one is erratic. There's something wrong with this person. So then they moved the screen away from that side. And actually, it was connected to a person who was in a state of coma. And because everything was being moved and operated through artificial means, the heartbeat was being maintained artificially. The respiratory rates were being maintained artificially. Everything was maintained artificially, so it stayed within the range. And they had said that it was very good. Then they moved away to the other person. They moved the screen away, and it was connected to this really big, huge guy who was 6'9", like Brian Fickert. <laughs> get, my, get it back on him for what he did to me. <laughs> so connected to Brian Fickert, and he's doing lots of exercises here. And uh, they looked at the instruments and said, it's all outside the range. It's showing very erratic readings. So that itself tells you that it's important for us to measure what is relevant. And we can easily do that in community development because we, on one side, know we want to measure the, the vaccination rates. So we can pep that up by making sure vaccinators are in place, they're motivated, they're given transportation or transportation allowance so that they can put up the vaccination rates. And then we can look at the vaccination rates and say, what a good boy am I? Because I've met all those standards. We can, we can pep up things to see what is measured so those measures come into the ranges that we want them to be. That is not what you really want to see happening in communities. Because you want to see that what they're doing is something that they have taken control of. Just like you saw that person who was in coma, but completely dependent on external support systems to keep his vitals within the parameters that were considered normal. And that's not what you want. You want that person to have his central nervous system take complete control of his own processes. Then you can say this person is now ready to leave the hospital. Otherwise, they will still need external support systems. Now, in, in a community, the central nervous system is called the survival strategy. Every community has a survival strategy. It's the series of things that the community does in order to survive. That's called the survival strategy. And I'll tell you later on how, how we find out what is the survival strategy. The community must have its grip on the survival strategy. As long as that is in the hands of outsiders, they will continuously be dependent. So we need to be able to have the community take control of its survival strategy. Now, survival strategy is measured using a, a technique called the holistic worldview analysis. Now, it's not the scope of my talk today to explain this in detail, except that I will tell you that it is, this is what a survival strategy looks like. It's, it's called the holistic worldview analysis. And this is a snapshot at a given stage in time 
of where the community is with its survival strategy. How much does it control? How much is it dependent on outsiders? What are the gaps? Okay, now here's a quick shot. The holistic worldview analysis is composed of three parts. The livelihood analysis, the sources of income for that community, whether in cash or kind. It's composed of the problem analysis, the problems that they encounter at present. And it is composed of the uncertainty analysis, which are the uncertainties in that community in relation to its livelihood, as well as to the increase or decrease of the problems that it faces. All three of those are captured here. Now, the, you can see the holistic worldview analysis has three concentric circles. The innermost is what the community controls. The second outer is what it depends on outsiders for. And the outermost is the gap. And what a community usually does is, when something it cannot find someone else to help, it then leans over into its ancestors or the gods and spirits that it knows of. And it goes to them to meet the, that gap. Okay? Are you with me till here? Every community, whether they are Christian or not, is holistic. Now, this might come as a shock to you. They're holistic in the sense that they have the empirical, which is the physical which they control, and the supernatural, the supernatural which they make covenants with in order to control their environment. And that, together, is the survival strategy. So a, a community is holistically integrated between the empirical and the supernatural. Biblical holism is about the empirical and the spiritual. That's the difference. Where in their holism, anything that works is acceptable. Okay? That's just, just by way of information. Now let's look at this and let us see how we would diagnose where a community is by looking at the CV analysis. The CV analysis, as you see on the left top there, is a, a ratio between its capacities and its vulnerabilities. Now, the same diagram that you saw, uh, saw in the photograph earlier, which was from one of the villages where we worked, where there's a total health village. I just took a photograph of it from the, from the wall. This is a digital version of it. You'll see some of them are red and one is green. You see that? Except the colorblind people. Okay. Okay. So th this is how you calculate it. This compared to the total of this. If this is more than this, it becomes red. This compared to the total of this. If this is more than this, it becomes red and so on. Okay. Except when you come to cholera, where you find that this is equal to this. It just happened in that village that way. It could have been the other way around. So when both are together equal, then we ask the community, which way does it lean? And the community said, 
it leans in terms towards being a capacity because we know now how cholera is caused. We know the symptoms, we know how to treat it, we know how to prevent it. And we know when the first symptoms begin, what we need to do. So we really consider that a capacity. So how many capacities here? Okay, this is, this is supposed to be interactive. So. <laughs> so indulge me, please. It's afternoon. It's 1.30. Okay, 1.45. No, sorry, 2.45. I'm, I'm losing track of time. Okay, so one green and how many reds? Can you count? Nine. Okay. So the CV analysis is done by dividing the number of capacities by the number of vulnerabilities. This was the status of this project in 2008. We are now measuring how much a community is able to control its survival strategy. The survival strategy is shown by taking a snapshot of what we call the holistic worldview analysis. So this is what a holistic worldview analysis is. And later on, if you meet with Denise, she'll give you some samples from total health villages which we have around the world. And each of them will have a worldview analysis with a diagnosis there. All right, so the CV index is 0.11. I need you to see this very carefully. Look at the placement of the seeds here, just approximately. And let's move to the year 2009. So this is, uh, before we do that, 0.11. So you can actually track this on, for want of a better name, we call the T3 tracker, which is Traceable Transformation Tracker. People have told us that sounds terrible, but <laughs> it'll have to for now, T3. So that's where it is. So this is your baseline. When we got started, 2008. Let's go to 2009. Do you see some change from what you saw before? Let me give you a look at that. And look at this. Okay? Now you saw some of the seeds here moving to the inside. But the final position is still 1 by 9 vulnerabilities. And the CV index is 0.11. How does it figure on the T3 tracker? We're at baseline. Okay? Now, the tendency for people who are involved in giving and supporting a project is Oh, we're still at baseline. It hasn't changed. Let's pull out of here. You don't, because it takes time to establish, because the community is testing you out. While you work with the community, community is testing you out to see if your real things that you said are real or not. And that's where it is, still at baseline. Let's go to 2010. You see some changes here? What are the changes? Sorry? What are the changes? Okay, there are four greens. Okay. Other than that, did you see that the seeds are moving towards the center? That's an indication that the community has got empowered, beginning to get empowered. And let's see what the CB index is. So it's four divided by the remaining red. So one, two, 
three, four, five, six. Four divided by six, point six seven. Let's see how it looks on the T3 tracker. Shows signs of improvement. Encouraging. That happens after how long? Almost two years. Almost two years. Okay. 2011. What do you see here? How many capacities? Six. The greens. We're looking at the greens. The greens are the capacities. The reds are the vulnerabilities. So six divided by four. CV index, 1.5. Let's see how it looks on the T3 tracker. Does that look good? Okay, the first signs of empowerment is when it crosses one. When your capacities are more than your vulnerabilities is when empowerment becomes manifest in the community. And you can see it in the form of animation. And someone described it like this. They came to the community, they looked around, they said, it looks like someone took all these winding toys and wound them up and let them go. So they're like moving all over the place. They were just empowered. They were excited. There was some sort of internal energy that this community had. Let's go down to 2012. Do you see something else again here? Did you see that? A lot of it coming into the center. How many greens? How many reds? So that's two by, uh, no, that's four, eight divided by two. CV index is four. It's really almost shooting off the, off the chart. Does that excite you? If you were a donor, would you think your money was given to the right place and you got a good response? And that's, that's the impact of empowerment in a community. And you come back, by about this stage, you come to the community and they are doing things that you had never planned. You never thought they're going to do this because they time-tested certain things, threw them out, added new things, made their own modifications, went out and did things on their own, visited the nearest agriculture college and found this new variety of plant that they just brought back. They're not waiting for the outsiders who were facilitating the process to be consulted anymore. That is empowerment. So the first thing that we use for measuring is called the CV index. And I showed you how, how that works. And so this is, this is one of those indexes. Now, as far as we're concerned, the most significant measurement is the CV index. It's simple. It can be shown to communities how to do it, and they do it themselves. So if you go to this village in Kenya, and you go into their room that, that is their village meeting room, you'll find it from 2008 right down to 2012, all drawn and painted on the wall. And there's a history behind that. Because at one stage, the document on which they, they had done their early preparation got lost. And so they said, if you paint it on the wall, it's not going to get lost. 
But everyone who walks into that room, they ask, what is that? And someone in that room is able to explain to them. So the community, it's not only external people measuring what is empowerment, but the community should be able to see what it is that empowers them. And I remember in 2008, and I think I've shared this here before, in 2008 when we did this analysis, we were doing it on the village chief's table on a, on a flip chart, and he kept pulling it off. He kept pulling it off. He said, hurry up and pull it off. So I thought maybe he wants to do some work on his table. But actually, he wanted to take that and put it on the wall behind him. And so I asked him, chief, why did you do that? He said, I've understood exactly now what is required. I know what my village needs. And if anybody comes to my village and says, I'm go I've got a program for doing this, and he said, just come and look at this. This is what my village needs. If you are not doing one of these things, please leave my village. Don't confuse us. Is that empowerment? But that happened in 2008 when we had the baseline. So there is something about empowerment where a community wants to take over control of its life. Let's look at the second thing. The CCEI index. That stands for Corporate Community Empowerment Index. CCEI. And uh, for this, what we did was we, we wrote to several organizations uh, that were working globally, sent them a questionnaire, asked them to fill it, respond, and we got hold of a secular university to analyze that information. And the question was basically, what is empowerment? How would you define empowerment? How do you facilitate empowerment? What do you know about empowerment? An interesting thing happened. All the big NGOs with lots of funding did not respond. And they kept sending reminders. That's when I joined MAPS. So I called them up, and I knew some of these top guys. And I said, why didn't you guys respond to this? And they said, you know, Ravi, it's embarrassing. But empowerment is not what we are about. Because we don't want the community to be empowered, and they would be questioning what we want to do. We have full funding for these projects. We want to get started from day one. We can't be wasting our time with empowerment and the interference from empowered communities. <laughs> the other interesting thing was all the small organizations with limited funding depended a lot on empowerment. But the secular company that looked at this data analysis, they looked up and they said there are four things that are part of empowerment. A community is empowered to the point it controls health, its own health, the extent to which it controls its microeconomy, the extent it controls and influences micro-political decisions that influence them, and the extent to which it controls the natural and productive resources of the community. Those four things. Okay, so we designed something to measure this. And you can see the uh, community working on this. And uh, it, it turned out a little different than we expected because we, we were shocked that the women were actually more empowered than the men in this community. So we decided to do it separately. And then we brought the results together. The male 
are the black seeds and the female are the red seeds. And I'll tell you how it was done. We had these same four things, health, control over natural resources and productive resources, uh, micro-financial control, and micro-political control. And you have these four, inter- uh, four circles with an intersecting central circle. And we gave them seeds, ten seeds on the outside, and we said, show us the extent to which the community has control over health. And in that case, you move the seeds in. They have control. Outside is they don't have control. We're not talking about this group which is here, but we're talking about the whole community. And that's the result that they gave us. So you total the red seeds on the inside divided by 40 will give you an index. Again, you can track this on a graph and see the progress. And then your your sheet of paper with the information is itself a diagnostic. Because then you can ask them, okay, why is this one and a half that's still outside? When you say it's so much inside, why do you say that? And you can have discussions along it. So the diagnostic is a tool for discussion. Just like it would be ideal for a doctor to hold up your x-ray sheet and point out to you, this is where your bones are broken, and explain that. They don't bother to do that because there isn't enough time. And he'd probably be sued for malpractice or something. But you guys have gone to sleep. No. All decisions are corporate decisions. It's a cumulative final. So it's not each one putting it and then taking a total and dividing it, but each one. So there's a lot of debate on this. There's a lot of debate and a lot of stuff that keeps getting discussed. And that's where you need to have someone just taking down notes because there's a lot of stuff that you find out from this. Okay? Let's move on. I want to show you a couple of more things. And then we were concerned not just in the improvement of certain things, but we wanted to make sure that their values were also changing. Now, somewhere around the second year or third year of this project, we worked through what is called the CORP, the community's own resource persons, which are just ordinary people within the community that do a little more in the community than take care of themselves. So maybe a school teacher, maybe a nurse, or maybe the village elder, whoever. People who care for the community and the community trust them. So we used to work through the communities on resource persons, and the CORP in this community said there are too many things to look at, and they are overlooking a very important thing, which was super, uh, the spiritual nurture part of it. And so they said we, we decided to add a subcommittee. Okay, initially they asked us, can we add? We said, of course, it's your project. You don't have to ask us. So they just went ahead. And they added subcommittees, and in the subcommittee, they chose a pastor. Now, in in East Africa, it's a little bit complicated because in the same village, you may have 15 churches. In Latin America, it's much easier. You just have two churches, the evangelical church and the Catholic church. (laughs) But but in, in East Africa, you've got so many churches, so they had to decide where the church, the pastor saw 
the community beyond his own congregation. So they added this pastor as their, uh, their spiritual nurture. And he said, there's only one value I value. And that's from Galatians 5.22. And he said, these are the spiritual fruit, which I would see, and they put it up. And then while we were studying it, I counted the number of circles, and it was eight instead of nine. And if you look at Galatians 5.22, there are nine spiritual fruit. So they, what they did was they combined two things and made it modesty because the other two didn't make sense to them separately. So they just made it. So what matters? How the community looks at it. And they saw these were the changes. Again, what's on the inside totaled comes to 36 divided by the total number 80. We'll give you an index. You can track it over a period of time what is changing. And they were able to tell us very clearly these things changed because of this project. Sometimes they said this changed by itself. You guys didn't do anything for this. It just changed by itself. So you can even accord what we call causality by saying what part of it was because of our organization. Give them a different color seed and let them replace those. And that can show you the causality part of it. Okay, let's move on. At that time, uh, I, was, I was visiting this project and, you know, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, the guy who wrote End of Poverty, is very interested now in a new thing called the Happiness Index. And the UN released this, okay, in case you think this is a joke. Happiness Index was released by the UN. And uh, it was in 2012 they had the happiness index that they were talking about. So I asked my assistant to give me a copy of the excerpt, which was 75 pages. So I read it. I missed two movies on the plane to <laughs> Kenya, and I read the whole thing. And I was pretty confused at the end of it. So I, I said, let's just ask the community. And we made three faces, a happy face a neutral face, and an unhappy face. I gave them ten seeds, and I said, consider these ten seeds representing your entire village. As of today, in 2012, we did that. What percentage of people is happy, neutral, and unhappy? And that's what the placement was. So then I said, okay, now let's look at 2008, when we started this project. What was it like? Is there a difference? Is there a significant difference? So I said, concentrate on just this and that. Concentrate on this and that. What is it that brought about this change? And they started this, that, this, this, this. They started listing a whole series. I said, okay, hang on, hang on. I'm giving you ten seeds again. And this is happiness. Can you break it up and show me what happiness is? And they put three seeds and they said, this is tumianini, tumiani, which is hope, health, afia. Yes, can you say it correctly, please? In Tumaini. Tumaini. And they said three seeds for that. 30% of the composition of happiness is tumayini which is hope, health, affair, 
is 20%. Ilimu is 10%. And peace, Amani, actually, and we were trying to translate. They said, peace is not a good translation. It's more than peace. And that's shalom. Isn't that shalom? So that was the composition of happiness. They, they gave those. They, they, they gave the components. They gave the components of what health is. Not us. And that's very important. Because the next day when we came back, they made their own exercise with it. Using a combination of things we had shown them earlier. And said, this is how happiness is. And they were so proud of it. And that's uh, Ngoa who did that, and he led it, and he, they were very clear, and they were going on talking about it, we had to give them time to talk about it, we had other things to do, but we had to let them do that, and that's what happens in empowerment. A community gets so animated and, and fired up that it wants to explore and talk about its things. What's yes. The, what's the ground part there? What's the inside and the outside? Oh, that's just the circles. The, those, are, those are the same components. The health, hope, peace, and knowledge. What does it mean when they're on the inside? That means they have it. They see it. They see it. And what's on the outside is what they don't see. Okay? And then we found that they've done a whole lot of other stuff with using those things. And, and we couldn't even understand what they were doing. And we said, <laughs> does it work for you? They said, yeah. Very clear. Good. I took a photograph just for that, you know, and tried to study it afterwards. But, but that's what happens. So there's a, a whole series of other things that we can do. So you can look at, look at the key objectives of the project. What are the impact objectives? List them. Achieved, not achieved. When you say achieved, what are the things that were achieved? So you can do a whole series of things with this. And I'm going to go on because I need to talk to you about a couple of other things. We did a stakeholder analysis when we did the evaluation to see who are the stakeholders in this. You know, very interesting stakeholder here. Can you see who are the stakeholders? The community, the government, MAP, the church. Who's the biggest stakeholder here? God. God. So then we sent out teams representing each of the stakeholders, and they asked the questions from that perspective. And they came back with some pretty challenging things. This is important to God. What's happening about this? This is important to God. What's happening about this? Okay. This is some of the people. That's the village chief in his uniform, Joseph Kitsau. And a series of things that I'll skip over. Then, one of our stated objectives in the, in the project is to have low inputs that have high impact that achieve the Millennium Development Goals. So we try to measure and see how it did against that. Just a very broad view of achieved, 
not achieved against the eight millennium development goals. And this is what the finding was. What does it show you immediately? Which MDG is the lowest? Marketing. And we, we found that it showed up in spite of, because one of the things we did when we started this project was we didn't have to do everything that needed to be done. So we were health people, so we engaged and uh, involved people who were other organizations that were involved in agriculture and so on. But then we found there were still some areas, as we analyze here, that we were not doing anything about. We had no idea about marketing. We had to get engaged in marketing. And if you had come to our last meeting where we had all our team leaders from around the world and you had just stuck your head into the room and listened to what conversation was going on, you'd have wondered, is this MAP International? Is it a health organization? They're talking about selling fish. It's talking about selling agriculture products, value-added products. There's a surgeon there talking about, you know, marketing vegetables. There's a heart guy, heart specialist, talking about fishing and how do you preserve fish. And that's what happens because we have to be then ready to go beyond the area of our, the confines of our expertise. Let's move on. For those who are hung up on graphs, you can show the same thing in a graph. And these are the other photographs that I took. There are other things that we can do, like openness to the gospel. We have tools to find out. It's a rapid assessment. And then you can discuss a lot on openness to the gospel, uh, response to the gospel, attitude towards Christians, attitude towards Christ. And if you're a Japanese organization, you could do EEIRS, efficiency, effectiveness, impact, relevance, and sustainability. They're hung up on this. So we have tools that can measure that. And here's, here's another that you might want to look at. It's, it's called Wordle, www.wordle.com. And you can just draw data into it. You can actually, uh, what's the other one, Denise? Taxido can just you drag in all the data from your website. You know, what do you do on your website? You tell people how good you are on the website, right? So you drag all that information and put it into uh, this, and it will look at the frequency of words and give you the size of the word, uh, how, how frequently it appears. Bold and large shows you that. So this is what we did. We did a rapid a very rapid assessment. I just wanted to demonstrate this to you. And what do we see happening in the THVs? Just a rapid assessment. Well, a lot of talk about empowerment, safe water agriculture. Fishery doesn't even show up. It's tiny because it's only in, in Indonesia that we have a lot of fishing going on. It's not so much. And Sukroba in uh, West Africa. Okay, in, in the total health villages, because people say you, you call it total health, so you should, you should measure some health things. We're, we're developing some tools to do this. So one is the progress against plan of action. This is in the worldview analysis. You saw different segments. What's the progress against that? 
we monitor we monitor that on a monthly basis in ta- terms of a narrative report but what is the change in the lives of people is what you look at in impact reduction in diseases especially neglected tropical disease we are focused on neglected tropical disease improvement in health status changes in the ccei and the vci i already showed you that improvement in access to safe water this is very important 70% of conditions that you see in the rural areas are attributable to unsafe water so if you can make a difference in that it can be very significant there's another disease that's uh, it's actually a syndrome that's gaining a lot of importance and i might want to throw that name up so that you get interested it's called environmental entropy and if you if you're interested talk to me afterwards um access to safe water improvement in sanitation very very important both access to safe water and importance of sanitation are connected to environmental environmental entropy then increase in vaccination levels increase in percent of children in school is very important okay i'm i'm coming towards the last part of my my talk this is this is a story about uh, the bonsais how many of you know bonsais um the older amongst us know bonsais because we kept them in the house this plant that you you made deliberately stunted by tying it up with wire and stuff like that my wife is a perpetual optimist and she has continuously tried for the last 35 years to bring improvement in me and somewhere somewhere at the half point she brought this bonsai which she loved a great deal and put it in my office and she said take care of this this will show me that you really care <laughs> and then she gave me an impossible uh, condition she said water it every 3 days if she had said water it every day i might have remembered but i didn't and somewhere along the way it died <laughs> or it seemed to die because there was one leaf left on it and i had it on my refrigerator and you know the old days you had refrigerators when they switched off and shook like that and that leaf also fell off so i <laughs> so i i called this guy who was working in our office in, in india you got lots of people working in the office so i said agnu take this and save it because this belongs to my wife and she is going to give me a difficult time so he took it he said don't worry i'll fix it and he was gone and about two months or three months later uh, my wife and the children came to the office and i was suddenly worried because what if she asks about that plant because i suddenly realized it wasn't there and i didn't find out or follow up to find out what happened to it afterwards so i said find agnu they couldn't find him he had disappeared so i called my agriculture officer and i said keep her really busy in the horticulture section she has to leave at 5 i'll i'll explain why so he kept her busy till 5 and then she went home and about 45 minutes later i got a call because she had to wait till she got home to make a call we didn't have cell phones so she says how is my bonsai i said it's a bad connection i can't hear <laughs> that we really have to find agnu where is he so we finally found agnu and he said uh, i said where's the plant he said it's alive it's doing very well so i said uh, bring it he said no you can't you have to come behind the building 
and that's when I felt this cold thing go down my spine. So I followed him behind the building, and there was this plant, completely unrecognizable. It had grown to its fullness. And then I asked him, what did you do? He said, some stupid person had put stones and bricks inside instead of soil. And even worse, someone had tied the roots with wire. So what did you do? I removed the wire. And then what did you do? I put it in the ground. And it grew to the fullness of the stature that it had to grow to. Empowerment is progressive, permanent release to develop and grow to full potential. And I want to tell you quickly two stories, if I can. At least let me get through one. The ultimate measure of transformation is a change in the lives of people. That's what you and I are called to do. And I want to tell you of Kanani Zero. And we have someone here. Tracy is here from Genesis World Mission, and she knows Kanani. So she can at least say, yes, that's true at the end of my story. Kanani lives 100 kilometers away from the village I showed you, Kilonga. And Dr. Kavaludi, who's our surgeon, the hero of this story, is a surgeon who, who did operations. We had a lot of lymphatic filariasis in that, in that village. So he'd done a lot of operations. Word got around and cut a long story short. From 100 kilometers, there's this guy called Kanani came to find out if he could be operated. Kanani had tried twice or thrice to commit suicide. But because he had a big, huge hydrosil, he could not walk. So people could see him in his silote as he went towards the side of the river because there is a whirlpool there and he wanted to kill himself. And they went and caught him. And they took him back to his wife. And his wife said, why did you save him? At least if he had died, I can marry again. He can't do anything. He's not even a man. Can you imagine the extent to which that man's image was marred? He came to Dr. Kavaludi and he said, I want to be operated. And again, to cut a long story short, Dr. Kavaludi operated him. But he said, I want to see your village. And he went there, and you couldn't even access that village because there's this flooding around that area. And you had to go through, and uh, you had to go in this horrible boat, which is actually a bark of a tree with scooped out. And you had to go there. You'd keep bailing out water also as you go. And, and then there was no road. So Kavaluti gave him an impossible condition because after the operation, Kanani said, there are many in my village that need to be helped the same way as I have been helped. So Kavaluti gave them very difficult conditions. He said, you'll have to make a road, you'll have to make a hospital, a place to operate. And four months later, they had a road. The community mobilized itself. They went from village to village. There were four villages in that area. They mobilized and they built a road. And we had our partners, Genesis World Mission, that helped and involved themselves in that whole process. And he even, they built a, a clinic. I don't have the final photograph of where it is. 
but this is the clinic that they, they are built. And who is the most active person? That's Gabrielle and some of the health promoters. 2012, the highlight of my visit to Kenya was to be able to stand with Kanani, this man who is completely different and transformed. The same guy who at one time turned around and said, I hate God. Look at what he has done to me. I can't even live and I cannot even die. That man, you see him now, he always carries the Bible. He's always talking. And why did he want to know that? He wanted to know who is the God of Kavaludi. And Kavaludi normally has a lot of words. He says a lot of things. But you see him when he goes to Malindi. He can't open his mouth. He's so emotional. And when I went with him, I got the honor of being made a chief just because Kavaludi was with me. That is the kind of impact that you can have. So I want to close here. I had two more stories to tell you, but not enough time. So any questions? No questions. We can tell you how to access them. If you, um, you can, you can collect a card, and it's www.ravijayakaran.com. So that's my name. And I'll send you information that you require. You can get a copy of the profiles of Kilonga as long as they last or some other. So Denise is here with several profiles. You can get that. And if you have any questions, come by our booth. And if you see Denise or me there, you can ask us questions. Any other, any other questions? Okay. Thank you very much.